Well, we are getting closer and closer to spring. So welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is March 27, 2022. And in our series called the Finding Your Keys to the Kingdom, we're looking at a message today called Spreading the Kingdom. May God bless you as you listen. Well, welcome back to our series on the Kingdom of God. If you've been tracking with us over the last two months, then you are aware that the theme of the Kingdom of God uh, was not a new theme to Jesus. Not at all. All through the Old Testament, there has been this evolving theme of the kingdom of God right from the very beginning of the book. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, it makes a statement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Yahweh's sovereignty and rule are established as the ultimate fact of reality, both in the material sense and also in the spiritual sense, right from the beginning of all that is. And after creating human beings to be his co-rulers, well, you know the story, they became tempted by the serpent, and they choose to reject God's rule in their life in a moment that we call the fall. It happened in just a moment. But even with that, ultimately God promises that one day he will destroy the works of of the serpent and he will reestablish our image as co-rulers with him in this creation and in the establishment of his kingdom worldwide. And then in the following weeks, we, we saw God attempt to reboot that kingdom rule, first in Noah and his family, then with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his family and and descendants, and then with Moses, and then with David. And then through a distant descendant of David's, God establishes the throne and the kingdom of David as he promised he would in Jesus, the son of David and the son of God. Israel knew King Messiah was coming, and they knew that he would finally usher in the kingdom of God. They were waiting for it, though some may have forgotten at the time of Jesus. And while Jesus moved through Israel, he revealed that he was the true Messiah. After his baptism, Jesus headed into a territory known as Galilee, where he would centralize his ministry and his message. So turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. It says, after John the baptizer was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee Proclaiming the good news of God, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this series about the kingdom of God really does centralize in Jesus and his right to reign over Israel, but also over all who will believe. Not just the Jews, but also non-Jews, the Gentile people of the world too. That was the mystery, as we learned a couple weeks ago. That was the mystery that the Apostle Paul said God kept hidden in ages past, but now is disclosed in Jesus. So in Jesus, the covenant that God made right from the beginning with Abraham and and the promise of descendants and land, that blessing is spreading from Jesus on to all the nations on the earth. Even as far as saving us today, right? He's saving us today who are not naturally of Israel and we are actually far from her geographically, but we've been included in their salvation. Praise be to God. So last week I encouraged you to wake up in each morning in keeping 
keeping the, the life network that is yours as a mental picture to help you remember who you are and where Christ is in your life as a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And we also had these little life network uh, coasters. And there's some more here if you didn't get one last week. If you lost yours, you can come pick one up. Just to help you remember day after day after day that this is your life in Christ. So last week, I also asked you a question about an assignment to look at your life network as a way of, of reaching out and bringing the kingdom of God and its power to the people in there. How did you do on your assignment? Well, before we go any further, let me ask you a question. What time is it? Now, some of you might be turning to your watch or a clock looking for the time, and of course, that's natural. Of course, you would do that, but what time is it is a request for a unit or a measure of hours and minutes and seconds that really kind of help us to pace or to schedule our day to achieve certain tasks and goals that we have. Now, you could have answered to that, could have provided an answer to that question like, well, it's, uh, it's 11 o'clock, and you'd be right. Or you could have answered the question differently. When I'd asked, what time is it, you could have said, it's time, right? When an, an expectant mother is waiting for those first labor pains to occur, her sudden, it's time, is an urgent request, let me put, rephrase that, and an earnest urgent command to get the car and get her to the hospital. It would not be to his best interest to wait any longer, but to jump on the moment and to make it happen. Yes, dear, let's get there. What time is it? It's time. No, it's time can be an urgent call to action as well as just, well, it's 11 o'clock. So today as we walk through the final moments of Jesus through Acts chapter 1, I want to speak with the urgency of an expectant mom who says, it's time. Get the car. It's time. Because that's the sense that Jesus leaves with his disciples. So to go there, let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, that is the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After that, 
He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Let's pause. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us each and every day. Thank you that we have your word as your voice to us in these moments. But we also know that your spirit speaks to us in that still small voice. And we pray, Lord, that you would unite spirit and word together to provide for us your full voice so that, Lord, we may be able to honor you with how we approach this word and also with what we do with it. To you be honor, glory, and praise in our lives today for your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. This book is called the Book of Acts. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Some call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's called the Acts of the Church. Really, it's all of those things. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, 1 to 2, let me repeat it. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Did you, did you hear the time-sensitive words in there? I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven. The word began is an important time word, isn't it? He began to do and to teach at some point. Means it meant that Jesus did and taught from his birth to his death to his resurrection and then to his ascension, which is about to happen here. All that was Jesus just warming up. Luke tells Theophilus while dictating this, this book to him that his first book, the Gospel of Luke, was only like part one of all that Jesus did and taught. Verse 3, he says, after his suffering. Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There's that phrase again, the kingdom of God. Friends, that was Jesus' topic right from the beginning of his life. Jesus was even born to be king, we find out. Remember the request of the Magi who arrived and, and asked King Herod? Uh, he, they arrive on his doorstep and they ask him all about Jesus. And it, he, it says in verse 2 of Matthew, chapter 2, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now, before Jesus began his preaching ministry, before it all began, John the Baptist was camping out along the Jordan River, baptizing people and declaring to them, Matthew 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's a time-sensitive message, isn't it? It's time and it's near. It's time to get ready to be prepared. The kingdom of God is near and you don't want to miss it, he says. And then John the baptizer adds this just this little bit of information about what happens when the king comes. Chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 11 to 12. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Sound familiar to something else we read just a little bit earlier? Then one day, John sees Jesus walking toward him 
in the river. And John baptizes him. And then Jesus begins to go from town to town to town to preach. And what was his message? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. We've been reading this each time. It says, and Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That too is a time-sensitive message. The answer to the question of what time is it is like that of an expected mother. It's, it's happening. The kingdom of God is near you. It's happening now. And as Jesus preached about the kingdom of God, he proved that it was now. He proved that it was happening now as he did miracles showing that he was truly the son of God. And for the, la- for the next three and a half years, he trained and he sent out his disciples to preach the gospel and about the kingdom of God just like he did. And then at the end of the three and a half years, we all know what Jesus did with his disciples, right? He gathers them around together. John 16, 16 says, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me again. Verse 7, but very truly I tell you, it, it, is, good for, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, some translations say helper, some say counselor, the advocate will not come to you if I don't go away. But if I go, I will send him to you. Another time-sensitive statement. In a little while, he says. Jesus is telling them, he's telling them very clearly that his time here on earth is just about over. He's going back to the Father. He told them that repeatedly, actually, throughout his ministry, that this time would eventually happen. He told them that he would be handed over to the authorities, to the chief priests, and also he would be crucified. He was crucified and a plaque was put above his head that was written in three languages. What did it say? King of the Jews. Then he was buried. But just as he promised, he rose from the dead. And then over a period of 40 days, he proved that he was alive. Totally validating his right to rule as the eternal king of heaven and earth. And all through his life. So in other words, all through his life, right up to this point, Jesus has always been on the same topic. The kingdom of God. So if it was important enough for Jesus to be hung up on that topic... Don't you think it should be our topic as well? It's time for the kingdom of God to break forth and spread throughout the world. It's time. And it's time for the church to get on board. But for that to happen, Jesus said, I have to leave. But I've made other arrangements, he said. Another counselor will come to you. That another is, another like me will come to you. And that's what Luke recalls in the book of Acts. In, in, this, in this last moment that he and the other disciples have with Jesus, it says this in verse 4. Acts 1-4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Did you hear all the time-sensitive words in that account? This is the last teaching that he gave to his followers. And he reminds them again of what is to come. He says in verse 5, For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was coming. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was the one thing that would cause everything about the kingdom of God to click. But look at how the disciples respond. (laughs) Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They heard what he said, but honestly, they had their minds on something else. It's like they said, yeah, yeah, that's great news, Jesus, but but when are you going to finally deliver the nation of Israel from their Roman oppressors? When are you finally going to give us back our nation, our nationality, our nationhood? Interesting, hey, after... After three and a half years of spirit-empowered kingdom activity, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, I, I mean, even the grave could not stop Jesus himself. And now, Jesus and the disciples are standing there on this mountain, and he, go, and he tells them to go to Jerusalem without him, and to wait there for the same empowering of the Holy Spirit that he had. He tells them, verse 8 and 9, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And then it says, after that, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. What Jesus understood and that the disciples didn't was that as long as he was here on earth, his followers would be forever dependent on him. So he just had to leave. And he just leaves them here. He ascends into the heavens and he leaves his guys standing there with their noses to the air going, what? Think about what that meant for them. Jesus is now gone. They couldn't see him, hear him, talk to him from here on in. How would they do, do know what to do next? Clearly, they're stunned because some, of, some angels had to come there and, and snap them out of it. This, this is why they needed to go to Jerusalem. This is why they needed to wait there. As it says in verse 8, but you will receive power there in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, it's time to listen. We've, had, we've been in this series for two months now, and we've watched how God has evolved this theme of the kingdom of God in the scriptures from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Jesus to now, to his ascension. We've seen how Jesus was all about manifesting and spreading the kingdom of God on earth, showing us, showing us what it's like to live by his rule and power. And we've seen how his death and his resurrection and now his ascension was what he had to do in order to inaugurate the fullness of the kingdom here on earth. 
And now we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was his way of making that authority and power of his kingdom rule available to all who follow him. The Great Commission is our marching orders. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is our power to accomplish it. Acts 1.8 reveals three things that we need to do to live like Jesus and how he lived in the kingdom of God. Number one is this. Walk daily by the indwelling power of the Spirit. I didn't put daily there, but maybe on your sermon notes you could do that. Walk daily by the indwelling power of the Spirit. I don't think I have to convince many of you of this. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you know the Holy Spirit is meant to empower your life so that you can live like Jesus, right? John chapter 14, verse 12, one of my favorite passages. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these. Why? Because he is going to the Father. He's talking about this moment. He's talking about ascension and Pentecost. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon his people in power. Believer, have you had your Pentecost? I'm not talking have you professed faith in Jesus, but have you been filled, imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life along with that conversion? Because see, there's a difference between walking and standing still in the Spirit. Remember, after Jesus told them what to do next, he ascends into heaven and, and the disciples just stand there, their noses into the sky. What? And so God even had to send some angels to snap them out of it. Men of Galilee, they said. The Why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, get moving. Get your butts in gear. Get to Jerusalem. It's starting. It's happening. It's time. Start walking. There's a difference between walking and standing still in your belief. Everyone who loves Jesus has the ability to walk like Jesus did in kingdom power but only if they walk by the Spirit of God. You and I need His power every day, but power on His terms. And that means that there's, it's power for witness, not just to do right, not just to act right, but to tell right, to tell of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're meant to bear witness of our experience with Jesus and His ability to save. That's the gospel. But if we refuse to be his witnesses, then, friends, really, there is no need for him to display his power in us. Why would he if we refuse? Maybe you've sat at home with your Bible open wondering why you're not getting it. Maybe you've knelt in prayer begging God to come and transform some part of your life that's out of order. But he seems to stay quiet. Maybe you've sat across from a, a table at a cafe and, and, and the person across from you, you know needs Jesus, but you just sit there silent because you're afraid of how they'll receive and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And so you don't. Maybe you've sat in church and maybe it's been a long time since you've gotten anything out of it. And you wonder why Jesus doesn't show up for you like he's showing up for others. If any of that feels like you, then perhaps you're stuck 
on the mountain like the disciples. Just standing there with your nose to the sky waiting for God to show up again. When instead, like Jesus said, you need to stop standing there. You need to get baptized if you're not baptized yet. And you need to get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit so you can get going, get walking, get doing, and be a witness for Jesus. When instead, like Jesus, you need to stop standing, get baptized, get filled with the Spirit, and get walking so that you can do what he commissions you to do. And there's power. So what has he told us to do? Number two, we need to awaken the saved and we need to save the lost. Awaken the saved and save the lost. Look at your life network. There are lots of people there, I'm sure, like there is in mine, that need saving. Lots of people you know and love who are going to face an eternity separated from the life of God. There are people all around the world in people groups that have never heard the good news of Jesus. They don't even have access to someone who knows the gospel. But I get it. Our life networks are busy places with lots of demands on us. The reality of living in this world is that we get distracted from what's most important or should be most important to a Christian. And we get distracted by things that seem urgent to us at the time. We get preoccupied with other tasks. Sometimes something's got to give. And it's usually the urgency of seeking lost people. That's why part of a pastor's job is to help awaken the saved to the urgency of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and the spread of the gospel of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth we got a lot to do yet, folks, but we're still close. We're so close. We need to keep reminding each other, and it's my job to keep reminding all of us not to get distracted by the pull of the world, its passions and priorities. They're not supposed to be ours. But instead, our urgency needs to be witness for Jesus to prayerfully move out into our life network in the power of God the Holy Spirit and bear witness to Jesus' life-changing effect in my life. That makes your life network your mission field, doesn't it? Every lost person in your life network is there by God's design because God wants you to share the good news of the kingdom of God with them. Did you know that? So are you... One who is reaching lost people. Does everything about you reflect that? The way you go throughout your life network. The way you pray. The way you give. The way you serve. Are you one who is reaching lost people? Or are you in need of awakening? I know that there's some who think, we pastors hear it all the time, man, Mike, that's just not me, I'm not an evangelist. No, not everyone has the gift of evangelism, I'll grant you that, that's true. But everyone is called and commanded and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be a witness. That's in our Bibles, that's 101. Really, it's a lack of empowering on our part that holds us back, isn't it? 
And when you lack empowering by the Holy Spirit, you're going to wrestle with something. You're going to wrestle with fear, the fear of witnessing. Fear keeps many saved people from being obedient witnesses of Jesus. Fear can keep, keep some saved people from being baptized, so for sure it's going to keep people from being witnesses. So if you haven't been baptized, please get baptized. Fear will keep the saved from praying in public for people and for the sick all around you. Uh, one of our, I was in a little meeting this last week with, with a few people, and one of the gals there said, I have never been able to pray in public before. And she was praying in public, and boy, she prayed powerfully. It was good to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in her life. But fear will keep us from praying in public, praying for, for, for our lost pe- friends, but also praying for the sick, just saying, hey, I noticed this. Can I pray for you right now? And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can live like Jesus did. Do you think he passed up a healing when he saw one? So if the lost in your life network matter to you, and I know they do, can I recommend that you do what a disciple what the disciples did. They waited in Jerusalem for the gift of the Spirit. If you're lacking power for witness, you're lacking time waiting on the Spirit of God in your daily life. That's plain and simple. If you're lacking the power of the Spirit, you're lacking time with the Spirit. Plain and simple. Every pastor would tell you that. And then you need some witness training. That leads us to our third point. Train everyone to reproduce more witnessing disciples. We need to be all about this, friends, as a church. We need to be a disciple-making people. Because that's actually what is needed to get the kingdom of God to spread across the continents to reach every people group on the planet. Jesus said so in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and now here in Acts 1.8. Another reason for fear that we talked about earlier is that that there's just a lack of training. You just don't know how. Well, get trained. You'll know how, and that'll break the fear that you have of being a witness for Jesus. All of us need to be trained in the gospel. Not all of us come with a manual. Even reading this, there's a lot that doesn't come through clearly to be a manual for witnessing. We need to be together to learn from one another, to be trained in the gospel. We need to learn how to be effective, fearless witnesses. But we also need to learn how to train other believers to be fully devoted followers of Christ. We have a disciple-making course here at Lawson that we're going to reboot again in April, at the end of April. And I hope that you will take it if you haven't before. There's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. Some of you have taken the course already, but you're not walking in it. You're not reproducing disciples like you're called to. So go through it again. Come back into it. Learn it all over again. And let's get started in April to be a disciple-making people. You know, I used to imagine the ascension of Jesus. I'd, I'd imagine how him rising from the earth and, and just kind of before the clouds just close him off, I kind of imagine him looking down at his brothers with a wonder, with a thought. Was he concerned at all with his disciples just staying there, standing there with their noses into the sky, going, what? Did that ever cross his mind? Because if they didn't move on from there, if they just stayed on that mountain and then just kind of walked away, 
What about his whole mission to save humanity from hell? What would have happened? And then it dawned on me. Jesus was so convinced by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life and ministry that he was convinced that the mission of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, the kingdom of God everywhere, would be fulfilled. He trusted the Holy Spirit that well that he never looked back. I don't believe he looked back because he knew the Holy Spirit. He knew that they would move on from there, go to Jerusalem, wait for Pentecost, and then bless all the nations on the earth. And you and I are proof positive that the Holy Spirit is able to reproduce disciple-making witnesses because we're one. We're disciples now, right? Because the gospel of King Jesus has reached all the way to us here on this continent in lowly Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. But it still has places to go, friends. There's still people who have not ever heard of our Jesus. So this is what we know. Our passion here at Lawson is Jesus. Our power is the Holy Spirit. Our mission field is our life networks. And our priority is to live the kingdom of God now and first before anything else. Let's not be like the disciples with our noses up to the sky waiting for Jesus to show up. Let's get going. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit like he did and let us move out and be powerful witnesses of the gospel of Christ for the kingdom of God until he returns. Can I get an amen on that? So sign up for our disciple makers training. Be ready to be a, a prayer walker. It's coming up soon. As soon as the weather warms up just a bit more and the ice is off the sidewalks. Be ready for our May witnessing nights. We're going to try to get out and do some witnessing. Let us walk by the indwelling power of the Spirit. Let us save the lost and let's awaken the saved. Tell someone today what you learned about your joy in witnessing. And thirdly, we need to train everyone to reproduce witnessing disciples. It's our commission. It's also our joy. Let's pray. Father, in your word... There are many truths. And when we look into it, sometimes that's all we're looking for. We're looking for truth. But I think more than truths, there are dues. <laughs> there are commissions and covenants. There's things that we, your people, need to participate in in order to be truly the people of God. We thank you so much that you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, brought us Jesus, our Messiah and Savior. Thank you that the disciples didn't stand there on that mountaintop with their noses to the sky. They went to Jerusalem and waited eagerly for the Holy Spirit to come. And from there, they went out into the streets. They preached the good news of Jesus. And the nations began to come. The nations began to hear of the kingdom of God. Let us be like those disciples. With the same urgency, it is time. Now is the time for the kingdom of God to move. And we declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.